1: Happy New Year, DC family. We've got a really good episode for you here today. I've got Osman Beg of Bullets Forever joining me. We're going to hit the New Year's resolutions for each one of the Wizards. So tune in and comment after the show. Let us know if there are any we missed or uh, things you think are obvious. Slam dunk, pardon the pun. Resolutions for any of the Wizards. We'd love to hear them. Before we do that, I want to get a quick word from one of our sponsors, Bet Online. We're back and better than ever. A new web interface for the rest of the NBA season and more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet online remains your number one spot for all the basketball and football betting action this season. Head to the new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% off welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code BELIEVE50 to receive your bonus. From basketball, football, NHL, boxing, and UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports. BetOnline, where the game starts. Now let's get to the action. All right, everybody. I'm here with Osman big Oz. Thank you for joining me, man. We're, we're closing out the new year on a high note here. Hopefully the wizards just got a 110 93 win against Cleveland. They're above 500, which if you'd asked me where we'd be at this point in the year, I'm not hundred percent sure. I would have said before the season, they're 18 and 17 thoughts on last night's win.
0: Hey, man, um, Matt, good to see you. Good to talk to you again. Uh, glad to be on with you right before, right before new year's and, yeah, it was good. To, it's good to come in and talk after a win, especially considering how how they've played over the past. I would say month and a half since that ten and three start. It's been things were so fun for a while. Like, I mean, you saw. I mean, obviously, you're on Bullets Forever a lot, and you see, we had a lot of fun with the Larry O'Brien Trophy and kind of all the all the gifts after the wins and kind of flexing after the wins. And then all of a sudden, quickly, the rug got, rug got pulled from underneath us. So it was a quick fallback to to Wizards reality and it's nice it was nice at least for one night to get back in the win column and look competent look have your star look like a star and all that it was it was a nice win they played a depleted team basically it was i would consider it the reverse of what happened in Miami mm-hmm. Miami had Jimmy Butler and Tyler Hero last night we had Bradley Beal back we looked like the more veteran team and with Beal against a depleted Cavs roster you should win they did win and they played well so credit to them and it was nice to get back in the win column
1: I think just how beat up everybody is right now, if teams can kind of survive this stretch of like Omicron and be 500 ish over whatever period of time, this thing lasts, I keep hearing, uh, you know, mid January, they expect this thing to peak. So if we can go another two weeks and just like kind of split the difference, I'm happy to take that at this point.
0: Yeah. And I think we do have to account for it. They had, they have had, it's not the toughest schedule, and they did benefit because they got the Brooklyn game postponed. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess you could argue if they benefited because who would they have played that day? But they've had a pretty light schedule over the last like one to two weeks since they've came since the West Coast trip. So they haven't had that many games which benefited them. But on the flip side, they've played a lot of road games. They have not been home very often. And I think going into last night, 12 of their next 14 were going to be at home. So, like you said, if they could win kind of stay above 500, build like a two, three game lead. Then you get to the deadline where Shepard can make his roster tweaks that he does every single season. Then you have a chance to kind of, you have a chance to, to uh, at least do the, make the play in, if not maybe push for that six spot to get out of the in.
1: I think that 10 and three start, like really crazily raised everybody's expectations for where this team is, where they are in kind of the, I don't know, retooling process, let's say, but, Shepard has gone out and gotten people like Gafford and bought low on these guys. Right. And they've mostly panned out. I mean, they're more have panned out than not. And I would expect him to be able to make some kind of move, whether it's on the margins uh, consolidate a couple guys for somebody slightly better. I, you know, I, mm-hmm. I'm not sure what the exact move is, but I, right. I do expect him to do something here that makes this team better for that like stretch run.
0: Yeah. It would be out of character for him not to. And actually, if you look back, even when Ernie was here where Shepard worked underneath him, Annually, they've always done something at the deadline. Uh, whether it's training for um, I think it was Markeith Morris or you know, or uh, it was Nay midseason. The nay was midseason at the Oyan. deadline, I believe. They've always, yeah, Boyan, they've always done a move. It's kind of funny when you go on Wizards Twitter the day of the deadline everyone is saying oh my god we're not doing anything yet we're not doing anything again. but literally every year they do something whether it be it be substantial or like you know or just meet, like you said more on the margins and the funny thing is one of their margin moves gafford has ended up being a pretty you know a pretty important move for this for this front office and for this team right now so yeah completely expect something to happen by the deadline and uh,
1: the next couple of games specifically they've got the bulls on saturday the hornets and the rockets after that that should be a stretch where you can go at least two and one. I, I think this team has mostly been sort of trending back in the right direction. Like you have two kind of rough games in there where everybody was out, but you had the Utah game before that, the Knicks game, they looked pretty good. All things considered like I, I've started to like the basketball better recently. And I don't know that they're doing anything like super noticeably different, you know, like some mm-hmm. shots are going in. Right. Uh, some other teams are a little banged up as well here too, but. Uh, they're just kind of getting back, I think, a little bit toward uh the thing that won them games at the beginning of the year. So hopefully that's sort of, you know, s- like sunk in with all the players and and maybe um, you know, that that helps them even more, I think.
0: Yeah, I think so. I, I think even going back even going back to the Utah game, um, a lot of it even goes to, it just goes back to who's playing and obviously the dynamic that we've been discussing all season with Dinwiddie and Beale. Yep. Um in the Utah game, Beal was really on. I believe Dinwiddie didn't close that game. But mm-hmm. Unseld Jr. made the decision to not play him at the end of the fourth quarter. Right. And it's just been a cleaner, more fun team to watch with Beal leading the way versus Utah, with Dinwiddie leading the way versus New York. And even, uh, I think, uh, even the the Miami game, I thought they at least they scored. They, they competed with a mm-hmm. depleted roster yesterday. It's been better basketball to watch. I would definitely say that. Prior to that, I think they had that seven, they had lost seven of eight, and they weren't even competitive.
1: Yeah,
0: they're blocked. Or they were getting beat by 20 points a night with everyone playing. It was just bad basketball. And it wasn't, it was awful to watch. And that's kind of what pulled the rug out even more, like just how they were losing. Like you expected them to come back to Earth. Mm-hmm. You did not, I don't think anyone expected them to go from 10 and 3 to looking losing by 30 points on a nightly basis. And that's what was happening. Like even the last time we played the Cavs on you know, on ludicrous night at, at at cap one. I mean, I I was there that night and we were down like 35 points in the third quarter. And it's just like, this is, this is just awful.
1: If they'd had like two or three of those games in a row where they just like completely no showed, it would have been one thing. Like sometimes when you lose a tough game or two, like that takes guys a while mentally to like get back from, but when you have an eight game stretch where you're mostly non-competitive after being like super scrappy, uh, that was like, uh, okay, uh, what are we doing here? But it, at least mm-hmm. the, the effort level on defense seems to be back, even if they're not playing great defense at the moment, but it, right. It looks like guys are trying again, at least.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think you saw it yesterday. They were trading buckets in the first quarter and then they really started playing defense those last three quarters. And then at that, and, and that's really where they stretched the lead open and kept it that way. Mm-hmm.
1: And you're never going to shut an NBA team down for 48 minutes anyway. So like sometimes if you can just kind of weather the storm enough to get some stops later, uh, guys cool off, those kinds of things. So uh, you and I exchanged a message early in the first quarter there and it was like, okay, uh, not much defense is being played, you know, 10 -hmm. minutes into this game. And it sort of I'm going to give us credit for it. I think it mostly turned around after that point.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. We, yeah, it was definitely us, you know, give us all credit. Yeah. Not some. So. Uh, yeah. <laughs> At least the vast majority. Uh, <laughs> all right. I
1: want to do something a little fun here today. Although some of these maybe aren't as fun, but it is new year's Eve while we'll we're recording this probably after that for some of you listening, but we want to do new year's resolutions for each member of the wizard. So I just have sort of a random, um, order of guys here, but I'll, I'll throw them your way and, uh, we can kind of beat them up a little bit here. So the first one I've got is Spencer Dinwiddie. Actually, I'll take this one first, if you don't mind. For him, my New Year's resolution is be the same player, whether Beal is in or not. Uh, In four (laughs) games without Beal, he's averaging 26 points, seven rebounds, nine assists, 50% from the field, 48% from three. I mean, like there's got to be a way to get closer to that player while they're both in.
0: Right. That sample size. So initially he had three games where he did well without Beale and people mm-hmm. were like, oh, it's only three games. And then he looked awful when Beale was in, especially right before Beal went into protocols. And immediately the next game, all of a sudden he's putting up 20 and 10 again. Mm-hmm. So you can't chalk it up to coincidence. There's an issue there with them learning how to play together. So actually in that regard, like I wanted to ask your question because I was trying to I was thinking about this more and more last night after the game, what teams... Okay, we both agree that Beal has kind of developed into more of an on-ball scorer versus just pure shooter, correct? Mm -hmm. Yep. Okay, and Dinwiddie, from what we've seen in the past and what we see now, he's more of an on-ball... He's more scorer than shooter also, right? Yep. What team has two scorers in the backcourt that function well and are successful? Is that a a model? I guess my question is, is that a model that works? And what are the examples of that model working?
1: Yeah, I I wholeheartedly am with you. I think when you look at sort of the more scoring uh, slash versus shooting focused backwards, like if you want to make that distinction, like drivers and slashers and things like that, or mid-range guys, like Mm -hmm. I I can't really think of one. I mean, you've obviously got Clay and Steph, they're like both pure shooters and can kind of Do Clay does things. all his
0: work without the ball like it exactly. was that one 60 point game where he had the ball like a minute and 11 a half dribbles the game. yeah yeah right. 11 dribbles the entire game so like that doesn't fit you have McCollum Dame
1: i mean they're both yeah. they can both shoot it well enough
0: they can both shoot it well enough and even them are they the example of what you want to follow right now because they've kind of hit where yeah of the point where people are saying okay they have to move CJ and get someone else next to Dame So I just can't find that many examples. I mean, you have the Phoenix backcourt, but Chris Paul is an all-time great. So I just can't—you just can't compare them him to us because he's an all-time great. (laughs) And And, complaints. And and, and they're both
1: better perimeter shooters, so there is more spacing with both of those guys. And exactly, even if you look at Chicago, like. Levine DeRozan isn't really a backcourt, you know, like it's mm-hmm. two perimeter guys, but well, right.
0: And then Lonzo's really there to set the table yeah. for them, just push it up. And, and so the, the model is a little flawed to me, and I'm not sure what they're trying to accomplish. That said, you're, I mean, you're hundred percent right. His resolution is like, you know, forget the model, forget all that, just play your game because they're players who could kind of put the, take the like hit, Turn the scoring button off and still be effective. He can't. When he's not trying to score, he's kind of just there doing, I mean, pretty much nothing. You know, Mm -hmm. like at least like uh, a Satoransky type who was here, Wanamaker yesterday, players like that. They were not scorers. They would score like eleven points a game, get like eight assists, but they would bring it up, move without the ball, spot up. They were natural in that role. Dinwiddie is not natural in that role, so he's very ineffective when he's not looking to score?
1: Yeah, I'm hundred percent with you. I think the thought was, Hey, feels not shooting particularly well. When was Beal last a good shooter? It's when he had like a real sort of drive and kick point guard who got in the teeth, of defense, like gave him good, clean looks. I don't know. did good at getting to the paint. Maybe he can do that, but he hasn't really done that. Um, so I think that's another thing for him. Like if you're not healthy enough to like be really aggressive and dynamic, then maybe sit for a while. And if you aren't mm-hmm. healthy enough, like trust your body enough to like be, a, you know, be an attacking point guard again. That's like when Vinwiddy yeah. was really good in Brooklyn, was when he was like, All right, shit, I'm getting to the lane. I'm big, yeah. I'm longer. And then you make some shots and sort of work your way back out.
0: Right. I think that's what has to, he has to he has to be aggressive early to open up things for Beal because him just kind of being passive just makes it a stand around offense, which is not working for anyone.
1: And the like his turn, my turn stuff, it'll work a little bit in the regular season. Like you Mm -hmm. can, you can say like, then we don't need you to score 25 a game while Beal's in, you need to still score 15. uh, But when Beal's out, if you want to go for 30, like we're cool with that and vice versa, but like you need a little bit more balance. And I, I just, I, I don't know. Like I, I just keep thinking at some point, like it'll stop being clunky and they'll figure that yeah. out.
0: Let me ask you one question on this. Would you consider moving him to, a, to the six man role now where he can then they've staggered him, but he's still not very aggressive. But if you gave him like a six man designation, kind of like he's the first guy off the bench and he comes in. And a lot of times when people go to that role, they, they come in, they know it's theirs and they just attack. Sure. Is that what they should do eventually? I don't know. The thing if is we well, don't have an alternative to start, but yeah. Yeah. Th-
1: that's the big thing. Like if you had a serviceable replacement and it uh, I don't know, I mean maybe Brad Watermaker is now the serviceable <laughs> replacement, but uh I don't know Dinwiddie well enough to say. Like some guys relish the like, oh okay, I've got scrubs on me, I'm gonna go cook them. Other yeah. guys, it's like, oh, I'm being demoted. Like you can't afford to yeah. like lose him this early in a right. long contract. So I think that's a like you feel him out, what he's about. But for me, I would just sort of try to get them to switch the mindset and to say for the first four minutes of this game, deal, you bring the ball up, you are point deal. Dinwiddie, like we are going to like feed you and establish you in those first couple minutes. And then you guys can do, you know, a little bit more back and forth. I, I would yes. make that more of an emphasis for me.
0: I think that makes sense too, because we know Beal eventually, is going to, over the course of 35, 40 gonna on, get on the court, he's going to get his. We don't know if Dinwiddie's going to get his. So get prioritize getting Dinwiddie his earlier so that he's in the flow of the game early.
1: And, you know, Dinwiddie was really good to close games early in the year, but those were also the games where he was like, Kind of good throughout. You know what I mean? It wasn't like he right. was 0 for five and then he was suddenly hitting game winners night after night. Like if you have no rhythm and you've barely gotten any touches, you can't be a closer. And right's been better, I think, lately, uh, to close games, but he's still not, he's not MJ. You know what I mean? Like no. Din Dinwiddy being a viable option to close games, I think is better for this team.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh all right. How will Neto, what do you got?
0: I mean, for him, it's kind of just do it, you know, continue being who you are, but maybe look to pass a little bit. Yeah, just a little. I, just a little. I think, you know, I, I, I enjoy Neto watching him play. I think he's really maximized what he could do. He's, you can't really be mad at him for anything that he hasn't done because, you know, I think the expectations from when he came in weren't high. He's definitely exceeded them. Um, that said, I think the difference with what I saw from Wanamaker yesterday. And what I see from is when Meadows in, he's just looking to score. And there are a lot of opportunities where he gets in the lane and he shoots a contested shot over fadeaway over a seven footer versus just making a simple dump off. So I don't want him to change his game, but just pass it a little bit. Just a little. And I think just your teammates
1: little. will like minutes next to you more if you're just yes. willing to do that. Something. <laughs> he's basically a six foot, not super athletic two card. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> uh, I, I, I'm with you on that completely. Uh, the only thing I said sort of slightly different was just be more of like a steadying presence. Like he's so volatile. And I think there's a lot of these guys on this roster that are kind of up and down. And if you look at netto box scores, it'll it's like 14 points, three assists, four rebounds one night, and then one point, one rebound, Mm -hmm. four turnovers the next night. And he's just, you know, if he was just somewhere closer to eight points on a reg, you know, on every night, like, I think that's better for the team
0: consistently hit you at 35% from three. I mean, even that number is down this year. And I don't know if it's because he's just kind of just, he's not taking what's easy. He's focused on parts of his game that maybe he shouldn't be focused on, you know? So yeah, like you said, if he just was a steadying eight point game, eight per player game player shooting 36% from three, I'd be perfectly fine with that. Um, But you're, yeah, you're getting very, a very mixed bag. I think one thing also that might benefit him or, just like a weird clunky thing with the rotation it's kind of the rotate is what Wes Huntsville Jr. is doing and I think he's trying to accommodate everyone like he puts Neto in first then Neto comes out at the beginning of the second quarter and Holiday comes in stop playing all three you know some, well, three point guards you have when Dinwiddie sits sure but make a call play Neto or Holiday don't play them both
1: yeah I've been thinking about this a lot and it's like is he doing that just to keep them all sort of engaged for when they inevitably do all have to play like you know if if you just don't play at all for like a five game stretch mm-hmm. it can be tough like when suddenly someone's out to now like right. jumpstart start you but there's got to be a way to sort of like effectively do that and there just seem like enough minutes right now where guys are out or you know blowouts or whatever that you can still get both uh, enough minutes to kind of like make that yeah
0: work. i think there's yeah there had the- I think you're probably right. It's not about maybe just sitting one entirely, but there's uh, there has to be a better way than their clunky rotation right now.
1: And and so I would love to get your take on this. This is my new theory, but on most staffs, at least, it's the assistant coach's job to say, like, here's, you know, here's the script for who comes out when, hey, head coach, this guy's due, like, it's time for our next substitution. Like, here are the next guys. And then the head coach sort of audibles based on how the game's going. Mm-hmm. And right. you used to always hear like Scott Brooks talk about like playing by feel, you know, it's like, well, a guy just hit four threes. Like, why would you bench him? Like, what's the feel there? But I do think head coaches like think that way. So I don't know mm-hmm. if that's like a learning curve thing for Wes, like, you know, sort of getting that, like, um, that learning curve behind him about like when to kind of change the game plan and flip the script. A yeah.
0: And we all know based on everything that Wes has said and kind of his reputation is very meticulous, very detail oriented. Yep. I'm sure the assistant handles it, but I'm sure he's involved in game planning the rotations mm-hmm. and maybe some of it is as he gets a better feel, trust that feel. Yep. And kind of like the details, the detail, uh, like his attention details is a strength, but it sometimes it may be inhibiting him when he has to make decisions on the fly.
1: And, you know, no matter how good an assistant coach you are, like, it's still different being like the ultimate decision maker. And it's not that he's not doing a good job, but I think those are things that, you know, refine over time as you get a little more experience. Right. Uh, All right. I have Aaron holiday next.
0: So you kind of, you, uh, well, I think you kind of touched on him a little bit with the whole, with kind of just, uh, the role, like one of like, you want to see a little bit more from one or the other, I think specific to him. He's been very aggressive when he plays, Mm -hmm. which is a good thing. People have said it's a good thing. I'm not sure. I can't tell (laughs) because you see Wanamaker wasn't very aggressive, but he just got them into their offense. So while Holiday is aggressive, he's really just kind of creating his own offense. And I think that's maybe the issue with both backup point guards, Neto and Holiday is that they're just looking to score themselves where they're not setting the table for anyone really around them. Possibly. Now, the other thing with Holiday is, um, obviously, with his brother, you kind of get that, oh, this is Drew's brother. He has to play defense, and he is very physical. He has the build to really be a good defensive player, but he fouls every, at least what I see. I, you know, Every time he's in, Oh, there was a start. Was it in Phoenix where he drew three fouls in the first like four minutes when he it was starting is, for Denver?
1: thirty six for fouls is is definitely higher than you would want for a a the backup backup guard. He he couldn't
0: play starters minutes because no because he he's gonna foul out. Yeah. And he's he's now a fourth year pro. It's just stop fouling and maybe table set a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Those are the two things I would say for him. I don't my bar for him isn't very high. Okay. If he just spots up in the corner, he, like, against the Knicks, I thought he played fine because he was just more standing around shooting threes. He did not get into insane foul trouble. But, yeah, he still just fouls unnecessarily. Like And then, yeah, just, just play like that three and D point guard-ish type role, that Lonzo Ball type role. Stop trying to – I think the thing that drives me crazy is when players – and I get it, like, players have a different expectation of themselves. But when they come in and try to do too much, like, especially when you see a lot of these call-ups now, you know, right now, you're not going to make an impression by coming in and trying to score 20. You're going to make an impression by running the offense, defending kind of playing your role. That's how a coach will notice you and be like, Hey, we could trust this guy not by like, Hey, I'm going to ball stop and shoot. So I kind of get that feel from holiday. I know he's trying, like he's in a contract year, Mm -hmm. but you know, the, his current approach isn't going to land him a future starting gig. So maybe adjust it a little bit.
1: It's exactly what you said about Wanamaker. Like if he can do that for the whole 10 day, he, he might get a call back. you know, like right. it's it's that kind of thing. Like know your role and do what the team really is bringing you in there to do. I, I will say on the, the Wanamaker thing, I wonder how much of last night's success is nobody could scout him. You know what I mean? Like he came yeah. in at the last minute. They weren't even like running their typical stuff because he kind of couldn't, it was just like, Hey, go mm-hmm. play. And and that's hard for a team to kind of game plan around. And right. how much can you game plan right now? Anyway, like they didn't even know Beal was going to play until, you know, game time kind of stuff. Like, so I, I'm curious to see if like, cause Brad Wanamaker in Boston, when he played was bad. Like I can confirm yeah. that I saw those minutes, but he oh, was didn't real like solid. Well, when I
0: saw him, I was just like, he's this guy's not good. Yeah, <laughs> well, Every time I talk every
1: he's... night, I'm okay with that.
0: I kind of consider what he did last night. Like a Satoransky type game, you know. He just played, like let. I think part of a point guard's job is to let everyone else be able to play their game, and he did that. Not forced. I don't. I don't trust that Watermaker could do this over the long haul, uh, but like, if it does, maybe think in hindsight when they traded Satoransky, maybe they just kept him because he was doing just fine in his role.
1: Yeah, I, I know. I, I, I've i kind of wanted like that kind of guy, whether he's off the bench or whatever, just somebody that can do a little bit of of everything and be aggressive if you need him to, but doesn't force stuff when he doesn't have it going. Like, I, I think you need more of those kind of gloomy right. guys. Exactly. That. The one I had for holiday was, and and the thing that bothered me about picking him up was like, he couldn't beat out TJ McConnell and not to besmirch TJ too much because he's, he's a better player than he gets credit for. But Like TJ's thing is like, I will pick you up 94 feet every night and I'm going to be so annoying. And if I'm holiday, like that's what I would be trying to do to like carve out my, you know, my niche in the league is to like, I'm going to be so pesty. I'm going to follow all these guys around. I'm just going to like hound some somebody else's backup point guard and Mm -hmm. play real hard for like two or three minutes and then come out and then maybe I'll get two or three good minutes later. That's what I would like to see from him.
0: But to that point, Holiday I think has tried that a little bit, but he just can't stop fouling.
1: yeah. So but you that's just also be that's a way also to the learning that.
0: curve. Like you have to, you have to adjust to how you're being called. Yep. And you, but you could still be a pest without mm-hmm. fouling, and he needs to figure that out because it's just not working for him right now.
1: Yeah. Instead of making them like dribble the ball up and then wait till they get to the three point line and then you hound them and foul them, like. Get up Mm -hmm. in them as soon as they inbound the ball, just make them work a little harder, slow them down. So they take longer to get into a set, uh, something like that. Uh, All right. Next one, Bradley Beal. I I had this written in advance and I wrote, get vaccinated. Um, He has now ruined (laughs) that for us, for anyone that has not heard that news yet. Um, Vaxed Beal is the best Beal. Uh, So I I changed this one a little bit to just have fun, like be into it. Last night he was like, clapping and laughing and like high-fiving people in the crowd like his teammates feed on that and he sets the tone for the whole rest of the team mm-hmm. when he's like pouty immobile the whole rest of the team seems to do that too so like whatever we saw in the cleveland game like we need from him energy wise most nights i think
0: yeah i agree uh, actually you know, it's funny that you said that because i was having the same thought i was like he looks happy and it's like you almost wonder after that media day press conference last year yep. where he became the story because of his stance and mm-hmm. what, well, we don't need to get into politics here, but he had a, he had a very, <laughs> a very loud stance that drew a lot of attention and drew a lot of criticism. And it's like, almost did he become like, like Brad has been kind of the, like when wall was here, wall He's took lower a lot of the attention. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He builds lower key. Always kind of just been here. Like he, he, part of the whole Beal thing is he would blend in anywhere, be a great fit. No, like he's not going to give you any, like no problems. That's kind of why everyone always speculates. Oh, if he ever was available, any team would want him. Mm -hmm. And that was the first time where it's like, Whoa, what is he saying here? And then um, maybe he just didn't like thrive as being, I I don't want to say the villain. I don't know what the right word is, but you know what I said? Like all that attention probably had a negative. Yeah. had a negative effect on him. And I think what you saw at the beginning of the season is the team had success while he was not having success. Mm-hmm. And then when he was not having success, then he had said something where he wasn't sure if it was sustainable. Now I took kind of issue with that because it's like, okay, hit, yes, they eventually they would need to be able to play better for that winning to be sustainable, but it was built around defense. Mm-hmm. So, but as he was struggling, then he was really, I think we've seen him work the refs for years, but it went to like another level where he's literally just engaging with the refs, the entire game, And he's like pouting it on the floor and he just wasn't playing well. And then like, I think on the West coast trip, he started finding his jump shot Then he went into protocols. But then yesterday you saw a continuation of that. His his shot was there. He looked happy. He played very well. I mean, that's really that yesterday, even though he took 23 shots and people say, Oh, well, he still shot a lot. It's like, okay, it's fine. If you shoot a lot, if you're making shots, Um, if you're making shots, Shoot a lot, and then you have ten assists to two and two turnovers. That's perfectly fine. The problem is when you're taking twenty shots to score twenty two points, and, and you're turning else. it over as much as you're you're turning it over as often as you're getting an assist. That's not a formula for any sustained success. So th- it looked really like everybody eats Bradfield yeah. yesterday, and he was happy, and the team was ha- like, so that's great. So now he just yeah, like piggybacking on what you said, that attitude, that approach even during the tough times is what I'd ask near his resolution. Don't pout. Don't get frustrated by the referees. Don't worry about all-star games, any of that stuff. Just play ball, have fun. Go back to everybody eats Brad Beal, who like, yeah, who was, yeah, that's really the player that caught everyone's attention in the league.
1: I think for anybody that's played at literally any level, like you can go out and if you play bad one night, but your team keeps winning, you can still have fun. But if you have a bunch of those nights in a row, it stops being fun when you're consistently like underperforming or or you become frustrated by it. And I think some of that was new ball. Some of that was new rules. Some of that was, Hey, I'm a villain all of a sudden, you know, Mm -hmm. in certain circles. And now Ted Cruz, I'm his favorite NBA player. Like, you know, every other stance Beal has had publicly, does not seem to align particularly well with, with Mr. Cruz. So like, you know, there, there had to just be some amount of, uh, you know, weight on his shoulders and a perfect storm, all those things. So I I think he nailed it. And you know, we, I, the one thing, if I were him, I would just play the clip of myself saying before the year and during the Olympics, like I want to be an all NBA defender at some point, we don't actually need him to, to do that, but need him to like, try to be serviceable.
0: Yeah. that was actually the most disappointing thing when they started losing his defensive focus really fell off a cliff and that, and then, then those other issues just compounded it, like the compounded even more. And and, like, I think that's also, we have to just say it, like he's aiming for a 35% max deal and he's going to get it. And 90%, I would say he's going to get it here. He played bad for 20 games. There's no other way around it. And it's all, obviously it's all relative. His, his bad is obviously better than Neto, you know, but right. you're, you, you, you know, to make 12 times as much, right? make 12 times as much. Like when you go to the, like all these, all these shows in the morning, like uh, first take and undisputed, they're not talking about like the Ravens second string running back. They're talking about Lamar Jackson, you know, that's, they talk about the quarterbacks because that's who like, so Beal is this team's quarterback. He's this team's franchise guy. So him not playing to his level and him playing at, what I would consider like a C level for him, maybe even worse for him, had a very negative impact on the team so that he just needs to figure out a way to kind of channel his energy, be happy on the court, to get back to the version of himself that we started seeing here once I think you saw Wall kind of move out of the equation and it become his team
1: if you have a guy, a 10 year veteran max guy, which is like the equivalent of a super max money wise, like you need super max production from that. Right. And it's just, yeah. you just can't win. And and it is sort of, you know, the, when you have the ball that much, like your usage determines like how the team goes. If you're really bad and you have the ball 30% of the time, the team's not going to do well. So I think no. if, if he does, and again, I don't even actually mind him shooting a lot, assuming they're good shots and eh, shit's is going to happen. Like, Yeah. If if he'd, if he'd only had 18 last night, I I still would have said that was a really good game by him.
0: Yeah. I think what, what gets me with him sometimes are those games where, and and we've seen them those where he starts like maybe two for three for 11, but Mm -hmm. then he keeps shooting to get himself back in a flow. But as he's doing that, he has taken everyone else out of their game. Yeah, Yesterday he didn't take anyone. He took 23 shots, but he didn't take anyone else out of their game. Mm -hmm. Kuzma was got his touch. Everyone else got their touches. Mm -hmm. Um, And the flow of the game was there. So again, yeah, you're right. It's not about field goal attempts. It's just about the ball sticking and the ball did not stick. And again, that is when everybody started, this is how Brad, Brad played at that point. He was close, like high twenties in points per game. His assists were up, his rebounds were up. He was engaged throughout, like he was engaged throughout just scoring.
1: Yeah, I agree. And I mean, I thought he was, again, he didn't really have like a super tough, perimeter assignment, but the the defense was serviceable. Like he didn't get exposed or anything last night. And if you can just kind of have that, I think, you know, you're in good shape. All good. Uh, All right. Next one. I got Corey Kispert. What do you got?
0: (sighs) Just make your shots. I mean, he's doing things the right way on the floor. He attacks closeouts. He moves without the ball constantly. His advanced numbers, like his on-offs, all that type of stuff is all great. I think because of these things that he does, but his the skill set he was drafted for was to make shots. So mm-hmm. there is a learning curve, there's an adjustment to the NBA, but now it's time and he has been making more shots lately, but then last night he had a rough game. I think it's just become more consistent in making those threes. That's I mean, I think that's really it. I with him, it's interesting, like he's kind of I hate with rookies saying, Oh, this is what a guy is, this is what a guy's not. But in his case, it is kind of a little different because. Like he's not going to be a great on-ball player. The the role is the role, right? The role is the role. He's going to be that like Joe Harris type player, and so the quicker he could get that shot up to be up to that level, up to that thirty-five and eventually forty percent level, the better for him and the better for the organization. Um, If he could like incrementally improve in terms of being stronger at the basket, in terms of like. Uh, beating closeouts even more effectively, that's fine. But he does a lot of things the right way. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just how quickly can he get to becoming a, a, a consistent role player? And that'll depend on when his shots go in.
1: I'm actually encouraged by his play, which might sound stupid to people, but like it's the question mark stuff that people had about him. I actually think he's done reasonably well. Like He hasn't been bad defensively because he's too slow laterally to do it. He's been bad at times because he does dumb shit like foul somebody right around the basket and let them yeah. get an and one. I mean, like he's gotten his hands on some, stuff, you know, he he uh, kind of disrupted that outlet pass from Kevin Love last night. Right. Like the effort is there. I think he looks athlete. He's not a high end NBA athlete, but he doesn't look <laughs> outclassed. You know, like certain guys, the Wizards have drafted the last couple years. Don't look like they can hang Right, athletically, like athletically, a certain second-round pick who maybe we'll get to, but
0: um. <laughs> I mean, I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll I'll actually point like compare. So, what, like, yeah, in terms of his athleticism, he looks he looks quick, like getting to his spots. He's just continuously moving. He looks like he knows how to play, and he mm-hmm. does. Like, he's doing everything that someone an off-ball player he he knows how to play, just has to make the shots. What, like, like you said, one thing that I would like to see is as he attacks more. You would see that Gonzaga once in a while. He would attack, and then he would go for a dunk when he attacks a closeout. Yep. I want him to see it. I would like to just him to try it a couple times versus yep. trying to go around people. Let's just see what happens, you know. Yep. But like there was a like Troy Brown we drafted what in 2018. He never looked like an NBA athlete to me, and I don't see that from Kispert. Kispert just looks like he looks like he could be, excel in his role once his shot starts going in.
1: I would say Troy never looked like. It looked athletic enough to capitalize on his particular skill set, right? Like you right. needed him to be an attacking, slashing kind of guy because he wasn't a shooter, and he wasn't a good enough athlete to do that. Like Kispert, he's going to be mostly a spot up guy. You attack a closeout to keep guys honest, which he's done right. done well. But
0: like he's actually done that pretty well, I think. Yeah,
1: yeah. The the shot looks kind of flat, and and I went back and I actually had an old um, Gonzaga game on my on my DVR from from last season and. He took seven threes in this game against Kansas, I want to say, and every one of them was like toe online from the college line. You know, like when you're that kind of shooter, it's just going to, there is some shot mechanic tweak, I think, to moving further back when you're that kind of like, I'm not going to say line drive shooter, but he's not a high arc guy. So I I think there's something technically there that that maybe they're just going to have to help him adjust to. And right you know, it's all about confidence at that point. So I yeah, I had to be agree. confident and also off court, start a line of hair care products because like Kisper <laughs> has beautiful hair. I'm just going to give the guy credit for that. Like he <laughs> always looks good. He's rocking the headband look really well. Like I uh, got to give him a shout out for that.
0: You know, it works for a man, you know, <laughs> he's making it work. Uh
1: All right. Next one I got here is uh KCP. What do you think?
0: So KCP is a player, you know, um, so for everyone who's listening, Matt and I are in a couple of different chats and, and so he hears my opinions a lot. And, and KCP has really frustrated me this season because look, he's making his threes. He's not at the clip that he was making them in LA. It seems like he got here and was, I don't know if it was told or he just assumed, Hey, I'm in Washington now versus the Los Angeles Lakers playing next to LeBron. So I could, I could show everyone what I could actually do. And I'm not sure he could actually do what he thinks he could actually do.
1: (laughs) So like, he's trying to play like Beal. He can't be a Like
0: Yeah. I don't like the whole fit with him was, oh, this is the three D that they've been searching for, but he seems hesitant to be that player. Um, I don't know if you recall this play yesterday. Like there was a play where he got a kick out wide open from three. He pumped faked, He drove into the lane against the Cleveland bigs and then tried a left-handed pass out yeah. to the opposite, uh, opposite shooter that went, I think it went directly to the Cleveland player. It had no chance. Mm-hmm. It was an awkward looking play. It was just an ugly, <laughs> just ugly. But then the second half, he was fine because he started shooting threes. Sure. So new year's resolution for KCP get back to being a three and D stop trying to show everyone what's in your bag because I'm not sure what's in there play. Like you, he's been a successful player playing his role and he needs to get back to figuring out, get back to understanding what that role was that made him successful in this league.
1: Yeah. I think you nailed it. He's always been that kind of guy where like, he'll have a five for six, you know, night from three and then a one for six. And that's how he ends up at his percentage. It's never just like, he's perfectly three for six or two and a half for six, like whatever it is. Um, so that's, that's sort of not out of character, but I, I think you nailed the types of shots are are a little different. Like last night, he gave up a, like a lightly contested three for a more heavily contested like 20-footer. And, you know, like people bash analytics or whatever. I think they kind of don't know what that means typically when they do that. But like you don't want KCP taking a shot with his heels on three-point line when he had a better look before that. Now, if he's wide open from there and it's a rhythm jump shot, I don't give a shit, but yeah, uh, it's just, it's, I don't know for, for him. I think I can live with all the offense stuff too, but like, even during that, like really kind of rough seven or eight game stretch, his defense was noticeably worse also. And, and Wes said before the beginning of the season, like KCP is our best perimeter defender after 10 games. He said the same thing. Like they need that from him. Like, right. not going to do it. Dinwiddie's not going to do it. Like somebody has to take pride in taking the other team's best guard and shutting them down. Like maybe you have Denny do it for the, the wings. Maybe you have mm-hmm. Gafford can do that for the bigs, like whatever. But like, he has to be the guy to be the point of attack defender for, for them really. I think.
0: Right. He needs to understand what the team needs, not what he needs. He needs. Exactly. And the team needs him to shoot threes, not just like not keep pump faking off the line and, and trying what he has been, and they need him to just lock down on defense. His drop on defense during post the 10 and three start is, was, was disappointing because it's like, he's really not doing what the team needs chasing something that no one, no one cited as like, Hey, we want this. So it was glad to see the second half where he got back to that. But now that's really what I want to see. I don't want to see these like playmaking attempts by him or what have you. He just needs to, he needs to like, like three and D needs to be stamped. Everyone gets him like got him anything for Christmas. Hopefully he just said three and D on it. And he just doesn't lose those. Yeah. Just, just remembers that tattooed wow. in his brain. You know,
1: I love that. Yeah. You should put it on all the mirrors in the locker room, yeah. and that kind of thing. <laughs> I, you know what? I, I always think like some guys like need a couple touches where they like try to ISO or a little, get a little rhythm, a little confidence to him. Like I'm okay with that. Like here and there, it, it's just the, the percentage of, or the ratio of those things has been a little skewed um, Yeah, as all. So uh, the, the next one I have on here is Kuzma and it's, it's the same thing in my opinion, just like do what you do. And I, we talked about this already. Like I would have him watch last night's game film and Kuzma had some big shots for them. They've been like wide open corner threes with his feet set. He's not doing like the weird fade away from the top of the key with a hand in his face thing. Or, like, trying to dribble 15 times. And, I, you know, I've seen a lot of people say, like, Kuzma needs to stop trying to be KD. Well, even if you watch KD, he's not dribbling between his legs 17 times. And then, like, <laughs> ISOing a guy, it's like two or three dribbles pull up. Like, right. it's a lot more like meat and potatoes that I think people give him credit for. Like, I, even if Kuzma handles a little, I, I can live with that because he actually makes some good passes. He is a little wild. I think it still offsets as more good than bad, but like keep rebounding, be big rather than try to be a guard. I'd actually rather see him try to be like a small ball center. And that's where you like exploit his length and quickness and athleticism is against bigger guys, not against smaller guys. So do what you do would be my resolution for him.
0: Right. So going like, I think we talked before the season, when we talked about Kuzma and even kind of from a farm, like, Oh, this guy should be able to shoot. You'd see the summer workshops, the workouts, mm-hmm. his form was good. Yeah. His mechanics are fine, but when he gets on the court, he does funky stuff that kind of messes with it. Like you said, he like he's good from the corners. That I think he's shooting close forty percent from the corners on threes. Everywhere else, he's sub thirty mm-hmm. percent. And like you see him when he gets it, he unnecessarily fades away on like on a catch and shoot three. It's like kind of out of He'll, control
1: or off off seven Yeah, or and off it's
0: balance. like you're never going to be a consistent shooter if you fade away for no reason on a catch and shoot three when no one's even near you even at the free throw line, like there's no reason for him to be sub 70%, but like I was paying attention yesterday. And I think I, t- I tweeted it from the bulls forever count. Like he, he's so stiff at the line and he's kind of drifting back. It's like, just take two dribbles, keep your balance, keep your weight forward and just t- take the shot. He makes things more complicated than they have to be. And I think you saw that in the Miami game in particular, where he had a chance to kind of be the featured option with everyone in, in protocols. Um, when he got downhill, when he dipped his shoulder to the basket, he was great. When he was drifting to the corners and trying to shoot floaters, like running to the to his right, like 15 foot floaters, he they predictably missed. So yesterday he kind of find found the right formula where he just basically drove to the basket, dipped his shoulder into the defender, and he would spin off him to the basket or just kind of go dunk the ball. That's really what he has to do. Like, and it is it is kind of funny. Um Kuzma, but they say he's six, He says he's 6'10", or someone says he's 6'10". Uh, Rui is, what, 6'8", six, 6'9". Six, and remember last way. year, every yeah. game, hey, Rui should go dunk that. Rui should go dunk that. That was always the solution. It's like, well, okay, that's this guy's taller. That advice should still be kind of given to this guy too. Like, he needs to be stronger at the basket, and that's where he needs to, like, like that's where he needs to excel. And we saw it yesterday. Hopefully, he could keep it up. But, like, yeah, that version is the best version. The kind of finesse, drift back version of Kuz is, is not that great.
1: <laughs> you know, if they trade Harold or somebody at the deadline, like I almost think Kuzma would be better in like the Thomas Bryant role. Like a spread yep. the floor big and just like out hustle whoever, Ed Davis or whoever is on you, you know, in, in the second unit, like that would be, I think, where you best exploit the things he does well. And then if they put a smaller guy on you, then just dump truck them to the hoop or post up yeah. or whatever it is. Uh, but uh, it's the okay, I've got a smaller guy on me and I'm gonna try to shake them on the perimeter. Like that's <laughs> that's not a good recipe for
0: success. No, it's not like anytime I've seen he's tried to put the dribble down against smaller guys and he's he's like and, 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 and like you play a lot of pickup. Whenever a big guy tries to all with a nice late a small guy, it's like the small guy always takes the ball, yeah. you know? And it's like they think less everyone dribbles thinks, are better. Yeah, everyone thinks that's the advantage. It's like you see, it's like the Chris Paul switch on defense. Whenever mm-hmm. Chris Paul gets switched on to like a bigger guy, and for some reason they keep feeding the bigger guy, even though Chris Paul always takes the ball from him. Yeah. It's just they, you know, Kuzma needs to, he needs to. He, I'm not saying like with KCP, it was like be a 3D. Kuzma, would just like be big, yeah. use your strength, use your size, and work more inside than you are. Yeah, I, and make things less complicated.
1: I I agree. Like simplify for him is is a better thing, and then you don't have to think too much, and then you don't run into like the brain cramp, throw it to the wrong team kind of plays. Like right. But if you got like some high post stuff from him, I actually think that's good because he does make some good reads. Like he's a little sloppy, but um, the the thing you touch on there with his his shooting and the fading away, like if you talk to like really good shooters, everybody always talks about like up top what their mechanics look like and things like that. And they'll they'll almost tell you like lower body is more important than what you do with your upper body. Like you can't have horrible, you know, form, but like all those guys from like the waist down are reasonably balanced or centered. Most of the time you get like a JJ Reddick who like he's still mostly balanced, but he's like the best at like kind of shooting that like leaning, you know, around a, a pick three. But for the most part, the lower body is like set. And, and that's the difference for Kuzma when he makes shots and when he's not. So I, th- I think that's a resolution. And then the most important resolution for Kyle Kuzma is just get a new stylist. Like it's just <laughs> the pink sweater should have got him fired right away. Like whoever is dressing this man, like, yeah, the pink sweater bat,
0: bought, bought some uh, bad karma to the team also, you know? So like, it just, it just didn't do it for us, you know? Yeah. Now, I like some, like some of the other looks, look, some of the other looks I'm watching. I'm like, you know Dude. what? Maybe I could try it. I asked my kid and he's like, no, you can't nope. like, are you nope. sure? He's like, no, you're five, nine, you're not six, nine. So it's right. not going to work for you. <laughs> like,
1: Somebody tweeted like, Hey, throw George Mearsan sweater away. And I was like, yeah, when, <laughs> when something is entirely too big for six ten, nine, Kyle Kuzma, like that, that's a bad sign.
0: Also just fast. Like speaking of that, it drives me crazy when things are like, when, when things are over my hands on my mm. sleeves, yeah. Beyond How could that be comfortable? Yeah. You know, it can't be comfortable. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and you, you ruin the lining or the elastic of the of the thing if you got to roll it up too much. It's terrible. Oh, uh, yes. All right, you.
0: So with him, we actually saw a lot of this. Yes, well, I guess there are things that are developmental things that can't happen in in the course of like fifty games. True. So let's kind of. I'll take a step back. New Year's resolution for him, I think, is just stay aggressive like or continue to get more aggressive as he gets more comfortable. I think what we've seen is he's very comfortable. When they've put him as a starter, he hasn't looked as comfortable as he has on the on the bench. And I think that's totally fine for a 20-year-old 20-year-old player who's getting his first meaningful action in the NBA. Um I th- it, what I like about him is he's a t- he's yeah, he's more aggressive. Even yesterday he shot 13 times. I would be curious to see how that stacks relative to his career like in terms of career highs. Got to be real close. So and he,
1: he got, I think he hit his career high like in the last two weeks so i I, that may have topped it i'd have to double check
0: what i like what we're seeing is he's become he's becoming more consistent when he's in that bench role like uh, you're beginning to be able to count on him for 10 to 12 points when he's off the bench uh five to six rebounds a couple of assists and good defense i mean potentially great defense if he keeps this up so I think that's what you want to see. If a young player can be consistent, so I, I would actually stop yo-yoing, yo-yoing him in and out of the lineup as start, as a starter. Keep him in his bench role, but let his minutes grow as he just gets more and more comfortable. And from there, if he's like giving you 10, 11 to, with six and great defense, that's great for a second-year player. Um, long-term resolutions for him, he has to develop the left. Yeah. And I think his shot is coming along. Like he shot poorly yesterday. But I actually think what I really liked, and this is like a, it's kind of tough for a young kid. Like he missed three uncontested threes in the first half. And then he got a fourth one in the corner and you could tell he did not want to take that shot. Yeah. He totally aimed it. He missed badly. Then he sunk his head. He came back in the second half, the first three chance he got from three, he made, yeah. and that's actually pretty good for a young kid. Like to be able to shake it off, not let that compound, not carry it over the second half. It's like kind of uh defensive back memory, like short-term memory. Like, so that was good to see that. His free throw shooting is improved. So you see like the steady growth on the shooting side. And I think like, you know, for long-term, you want him to get to like that 35, 36% level from three. If, if not a little better, I don't think he'll ever be a 40% shooter. But again, if he could get to that 35 to 38% level, that's fine. He has to develop the left hand though. Cause like everyone wants him to handle the ball, but if he can only go right. And if he can't finish with his left or dribble left, it's going to become an issue. Luckily Cleveland kept letting him get right in the second half and, Teams do, but eventually teams are going to take that away. So he has to figure out how to finish with his left. And that's more of an off-season project, I think.
1: Yeah, I, w- I would spend the entire next calendar year with my right hand in my pocket whenever I'm not in the court. I would be texting left-handed. I would be eating <laughs> left-handed. <laughs> Whatever you get, to wipe your ass left-handed. I don't care what it is. Like, just, just build that thing up. I'm, I'm like you said, I'm not as worried about the shooting. They've kind of like did a lot of stuff to his form in the last two years. It just takes reps with a consistent, right. like, you know, here's my set form that I'm going to stick with. And, and that'll kind of work itself out over time. But his biggest advantage is being able to beat bigger guys. And if, like you said, if you can only go right, that only lasts you for, for so long. So that, that, that's my biggest thing. Like just handcuff yeah. yourself and, and work on that left no matter what it takes.
0: That's, that's it really. Um, I think what, uh, I think another encouraging thing for him just overall with Denny is last season, he started off well, then he had COVID, then he was really kind of pretty bad mm-hmm. before he got injured. He was yep. bad the rest of the way this season. He's really kind of, is he, is he the first guy that comes off the bench now? It seems that way.
1: It's hard to tell the last like, but he's one of the first guys depending on sort of situation. I think
0: he's one of the first guys who comes off the bench and he's like, uh, and he's playing He seems to be playing well over 20 minutes a night now. And there see, there's this context to like every kind of season. And I think, you and I've talked about this before the 2019, 2020 Wizards that would just score 140, but give up 150. Hmm. They were not playing meaningful basketball. They were not trying to win. They were not. They were just there finishing out a season, trying to get a better lottery pick, what have you. So young guys playing in that season does not equate to, and and look, we're not a title team now. We're not trying like there's no one has any illusions of this being a title team, but they're trying to win. So the bar is different. The minutes, it's not a Detroit Pistons type situation or a um, Orlando or Orlando, where young guys are just going to get their 30 minutes a night. They're going to get their 15 shots and they're going to have some big nights because they're going to have some big nights. You're going to have to fit into a veteran team's role which is kind of like awkward about our whole direction, but it is what it is, you know, but it's like, you're, you're on a vet team playing a vet, like playing the role that a young player would play on a vet team when you're on the wizards. So if he could be consistent in that type of role in meaningful basketball, that's pretty big for a 20 year old. I
1: totally agree. Uh, Next one, Davis Bertans. I had like multiple Versions of this, and I tried to make them progressively less mean. It started with going to witness protection, move back to Latvia, demand a trade, and and what I've settled on, just trying to be semi a professional about this, is just I actually think he played better at the beginning of the season, which I think most people are going to hear immediately and think I'm insane, but he's shooting better now. But at the beginning of the year, like he was scrappier on the boards. He tried to put a guy on a poster, like he actually seemed like he was making some attempt on defense in the last two nights. um, You know, especially like I, in that heat game, it, it was like matador defense where he like uh, someone got by him and he just grabbed him. You yeah. can't do that. Like uh, now there's some situations where you get a total mismatch and you want to bear hug a guy like cool. But at the beginning of the year, like he was trying to get scrappy and I actually liked seeing him get into it with Avdia a little bit. Like, you need some kind of edge from him. This is a guy that lost a finger in a wood cutting accident. Like this is a tough dude. So play yeah. like a tough dude. Um, that That's all I want from him.
0: People got on him about the Abdiya thing. And like, I kind of, and I'm a big Denny fan, but I kind of took the opposite stance. Yeah, no, tw- no 29 year old is going to be okay. Getting shown up by a 20 year old on, on in court mm-hmm. in the NBA. It's just, or even in pickup, this is, even not if you're happen. wrong,
1: just like, just even if it, you're wrong, it, it's not going to happen. Like, if, yeah.
0: Yeah. Do it in the huddle, do it behind the scenes. No one's going to be shown up by a kid. You know, it's just not, it's just not reality. Anyone who's saying that, Oh, he showed a lack of like, you know, that's just, it was both players were at fault there. Yep. Um, what I would, yeah, I kind of agree with you. Like he's making shots now, but he'd still look pretty just dis- at least for three quarters, he looked pretty terrible against the heat. Yeah. And when there are only five NBA players on a court, because you have like 10 call-ups you can't, and you're mate, you're, probably the highest paid player on the roster on that day. You can't be that unplayable mm-hmm. in that situation, especially when you're not going against the regular Miami Heat. And that's kind of the issue with him. And um while he is making his shots, I, d- I just can't see the positive like positive impact that those shots is having. It's more just yeah, he's getting his um but it's like, you know, it's not like in the flow of anything. Everything is very like clunky with him like because they're forced He's hunting shots and they're trying to force him shots. So he's coming off picks, getting double teams and shooting over the double team. So it's really is, does he make it? Does he make a difficult three or does he not make a difficult three? Um, And it's just, you know, that's. Meanwhile, I see Kispert who's not making those threes, but he's like playing his role. Like teams still treat him like he can make threes. Mm -hmm. I think that's the thing. The scouting report. Kispert is not making threes, but. Teams play him that way, so he's still beating closeouts, and he's just playing a nice fundamental way. So even though he's not playing great individually, he's not impeding anything around him. Yeah. Bertan seems to be impeding things around him because he's trying to find his shot, and it's just you know I, I don't know if it's working, but like you said, I, in terms of resolutions, I, he is making shots, so I can't say go back to making shots. But like also just try to be a little bit more of a complete player. You're not going to be a complete player, but just be a little bit more of a complete player.
1: <laughs> Kispert misses those threes kind of short and flat. And it ends up with like a rebound closer to the basket. When Burton's takes a 30 footer from around a curl with high arc, those are long rebounds and it becomes a floor balance thing. And he's not going to beat anybody back down court and like effectively right. defend them. So like just his shots throw you off a lot more than, than Kispert's misses. So, you know, just, there was a stretch in that, um, sixers game where like he actually took a couple good open rhythm threes and he got cooked by Quark maz but like you know, he's gonna get cooked by people, yeah. you, you got to be a little better defensively. But he actually did seem to help them offensively for a while and then he got pulled. And but yeah, it's, it's, I think it's exactly what you said is like taking the right shots is big too, and and just sometimes he kind of forces shit. Um, all right, let's uh, let's we'll speed these up a little bit here for folks. Uh, Daniel Gafford. What do you got for Gafford?
0: So Gafford, I mean, you know this. I'm a big Gafford fan. I think they stole him from the Bulls at the deadline last year. He is developing into a potentially elite rim protector. I think the encouraging thing for him, and this is part of the resolution, is just play more minutes. Mm -hmm. You know, be in condition and stay out of foul trouble so you can play more minutes. Those are the two things that I would focus on with it. Like, you know, get more minutes and there are two avenues to doing that. His conditioning was an issue last year. I don't know if it's as much this year and actually a good, like yeah. a good sign is he played 36 minutes first us to heat and he played 32 minutes last night. Yeah. His defense, actually, everyone credits Beal. De- it was Gafford's defense that was allowed the Wizards to actually stretch the game open yesterday. Yeah. He had, I think, five blocks in the first half. A lot of them came in the second quarter, and that's really when he kind of made his presence known inside. And his blocks and his rim altering kind of got us out in transition, got the pace on our offense. And really got that lead from, got us from trading baskets with the Cavs to like having a 15 point lead against the Cavs. And so I think that's the main thing for him. Um, part of this, I think, might be on West Unsoldier. And I wanted to ask you this question because I've been like thinking about this. Harold's been great mm-hmm. also. Like, oh, he started off great, mostly he's kind of great. tapered off a little bit, mostly yeah. great. But like, for what you expect, he's been fan- He's done exactly what you'd expect Montrez Harold to do. Sure. But with him on the floor, is there almost too much of a temptation to play him 25 minutes because of how good he is and his approach? And in doing that, are they then not playing Gafford enough? Like, would they be better off if Gafford was playing 30 minutes to 35 minutes a night and Harrell's playing just 15? Or if they, you know, even someone else playing just those 15 minutes? Or has the balance been, the balance that they went for got the wins early but is that a sustainable balance?
1: I think you've got to slowly taper that more in the gaffer direction over time, right? Like you give him a chance to build up his conditioning. I still kind of wonder like if he had COVID at some point last year and maybe that threw off the conditioning. Like it was just weird to me that a 22-year-old couldn't play 20 minutes without looking like he needed like an IV at the end of the game. Yeah, <laughs> This looks better this year. I think he's starting to figure out how to play without fouling. Again, like this is a guy that barely played in Chicago. And we suddenly came in and like, now be Rudy Gobert for us. Like, well, yeah, he's a freak athlete. He's not as big. Like there are some warts there, but he's going to get better. And I, I think you make a really good point about just sort of like, for me, it's situational, right? Like there are some matchups that favor Harrell and some that favor Gafford and some nights guys just won't play well. So like, it depends, but I think longer term, the more minutes you can get from Gafford, where you're like interior defense is so much better. I, I think you're better off. And the only thing I, I had for him differently was just like catch the ball, get like a jugs machine out and just like <laughs> let people fire footballs at you and practice catching them. Cause like, you know, when he just gets the ball cleanly and goes up on guys, he draws fouls. He's dunking on people. Like yeah. it's the, all the bobbly, you know, like gotta catch it. Now guys have doubled and I've got to try to kick it out. And I'm not good passing out of a double. Like, that's sh- that, that shit kind of kills them. So uh, just, I don't know that, that would be one other thing I'd add to
0: that. Yeah. It's like um, the Brendan Haywood thing. Yeah. So Brendan Haywood was nowhere near the athlete that Gafford was in terms of running and jumping. But if you recall, Haywood, he would never bring the ball down. He would catch the rebound pivot with those arms above his head mm-hmm. and dunk it. So that's kind of what Gafford needs to stop bringing the ball down. Maybe that's a strength thing. And, and I think that's the thing also that we forget. Bigs always historically take longer to develop. Yeah, Gafford has barely played, barely played in Chicago. And I think it still has barely played, even though he's a four-year vet mm-hmm. and like, a, it hasn't started more than maybe, what was it? Like 50 games or so, something, something to that some of that affects either way, minimal experience. So yeah, he just a lot of this is experience based. He needs to just get stronger, and as he gets, but you see the raw upside and what he could, how he could alter a game defensively, and the positive impact that could have on the defense. And then again, how efficient he is at the rim because he's so great when as a lob threat. Um, So yeah, it just to me like and and, you know like it always just seems when he goes up against a Jokic or an Embiid. He's gonna struggle yeah, but everyone does everyone struggles that's why they're mVP candidates every year so that's not really how you judge you judge him based on his growth and what he could how he could impact the team and so far I think he's done well I wouldn't give him an a for the season but like yeah he's shown why you want to invest in him and why you want to keep investing in
1: him yeah I mean I think for what you get for him contract wise like he's a really valuable piece uh, and just sort of segueing that into Harold, I have just like don't pout or be a distraction in nights where the matchup doesn't favor you. Like he can't be the the guy in post game being like, "Well, I only do what I'm told." You know, if he if he has a bad night or whatever, like some nights you're gonna get 17 minutes. It's just not gonna work out that way for you, and you just got to be okay with that. There are also other nights where you're gonna have 28 points and play 30 minutes. So like, just just sort of stay the course and and be a leader. Like they actually need Harold. To be uh, like a guy that, that yeah. sort of sets the tone and helps drive the
0: culture. I think he drove the, like he set the tone early yeah, in the season. He, did. he His play, he was playing at an all star level off mm-hmm. the bench, even though he was a bench player. He was, like, if they had stopped after the season after 15 games and said made an all star team, he would have been on the all star team. Yeah, it was disappointing, though, like you said, how when they started struggling, I think he, after the Detroit game where he didn't play much, he was upset. And then well, maybe it wasn't Detroit. It was, there was a game you recall where Gafford kind of really played a lot of minutes. Harold sat on the bench at the end and he was upset Mm -hmm. and, or at least didn't seem happy. And then there was a, I'm just doing what I'm told. It's like, you got to keep, you can't be a leader only when it's good for you. You have to be a leader all the time, even when you're struggling. And I think, like you said, their matchups that just, we went through a part of the schedule where we were playing just gigantic bigs (laughs) and he, you just can't play Harold against Hassan Whiteside and Rudy Gobert and like those seven foot two guys it's just not going to work defensively he's going to struggle because he doesn't really stretch the floor in those matchups so it's like you almost need that third center option for those type of matchups like Mm. a like a robin lopez type just a huge huge Yeah. yeah you just need the huge human because he's not that person he's not that player so he can't like i remember being at that utah game and uh the one over here and like Whiteside was just having his way with him and it just was never, it was never going to work. And they kept them on the floor and it was just infuriating to watch. (laughs) Uh,
1: Next one, Anthony Gill. I I said, just keep doing what you're doing. Try to mentor all the young guys being constantly called up. Like Gill's a guy, he's a good story for those kind of fringe NBA guys. Just tell them what it's like to be a professional. And that's all we need from you really.
0: Yeah. I mean, he's been in his role. He's been perfectly fine. Like, and I think, First, I was a little surprised that he stayed on the roster because yeah. we had so such a, like, yeah, such a gluttony of forwards. But you kind of see why it's because he's like he's always the first guy off the bench, encouraging guys, and yeah. you keep hearing him like he's always just has positive things to say. Like he was talking about Rui giving watches, and he was like, "So great to have him back around." You could just tell he's a mentor. He's trying to build people up, and now you you see why why Tommy Shepard wants him on the roster. So just keeping you.
1: Uh, Thomas Bryant, I have study everything Montrez Harold does to me, like Bryant could give you most of what Harold does in terms of energy and hustle, but he's also bigger and he shoots it better and will presumably cost less. Uh, so if only one of the two of them is a candidate to come back next year, you're going to get Bryant on a much cheaper deal. And I think he could do most of those things. So I, I would say just watch a lot of Harold tape.
0: Yeah. I think, I, I think that's the same thing earlier in the season, you know, I was kind of leaning more Harold versus Bryant same. that said now with the size issues. And I still don't think Bryant like Brian never was a great rim defender. Yeah, he's soft, even but he he's, at foot, he's, yeah. he's at least bigger. So I think because of that size difference, he's still, I think you would still need a third large human, like you said, yeah. but with his size, if he just like the Thomas Bryant, when we first got him, like you loved to play, he was all hot, all high energy, all going to the basket. Then he started trying to expand his game with step back jumpers and things like that. And that's what I just didn't like. It's like, we're not trying to build, don't try to build an offense around you. Try to just excel again, excel in your role. And then that's excelling in his roles, what got him paid. Mm-hmm. Like that's how he got his contract. So he needs to get back. When he gets on the court, get back to being that. Don't try to showcase for another contract. Don't try to like show that you could do step back jab step jumpers. Just keep relentlessly attacking the rim and. Try defensively. <laughs> I don't expect him to be a high-end defender, but just at least try.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Use your fouls wisely and and play hard. Uh, yeah. All right. The last one on like the real sort of set 15-man roster I've got here is Isaiah Todd. Anything for Todd? Uh,
0: look, I think Todd has. I, I've seen him shoot. Like at a, there were a couple games where he got a couple times, was like a couple opportunities to shoot from the corner. His shot looks like his mechanics look mm-hmm. great. Even in the G League, I've watched a few games. His mechanics are, are fantastic. He just still needs to. His it's just a timing thing with him. When he gets on the court, you could tell he's in Miami. He was very rushed. Mm-hmm. Like he was just kind of like his the game. You could just tell Some was going too bad and, and stuff inside. too. Exactly. I think he just needs a lot of he needs a lot of uh, G League minutes. And I would just keep play like keep playing there, keep plugging away, focus on making those threes. Also, kind of just focus on when he has gotten in and it's always tough because it's garbage time. A lot of, in a lot of those moments where he shoots like a 20 foot fadeaway over someone yeah. just like shoot the three or attack the basket, work inside the paint. Don't take shots that the, that your head coach will never want to see you take. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, even that's, if you make that, that,
1: that that's that's not going to help your minute.
0: It's not going to help your cause. It's just going to, yeah, you, what you want to show them in your limited minutes is that, Hey, what you want to show Wes junior that, okay, I could trust this guy to do the right thing. And that's your quickest path to becoming a bigger part of the roster. Yeah.
1: I mean, honestly, watch Gil, like spend a lot of time with Gil. And and mm-hmm. the, the resolution I had for him is follow Denny Avdia's model in terms of Avdia stays after games. Well, Todd already does that. When Todd doesn't play, he sits and takes 100 jumpers and, you know, like on court immediately after games. Like, And Avdia said recently that he and Kuzma have gotten into a routine of playing one-on-one against each other after practices and stuff just to like, you know, have somebody to go at physically and work on moves. Like that would be really good for Todd to have one of those older guys sort of like take him aside and do those things with him. And if even if it's someone like Gil that's not playing a lot of minutes and is fresh enough to do it, I, I think
0: that would be huge. Yeah. And actually, you've watched, so you've watched more Goga than I have. How has Todd been like kind of attacking the basket? he doesn't finish very well yet.
1: Like he's real yeah. athletic and he doesn't finish like a real athletic guy. Like uh, there was one play against the, they had a back-to-back against the main red claws or not whatever mm-hmm. Maine's not used to be the red claws. They're the Celtics. Now I, I, the G league names changed too much for me, which kills me, but against Maine, whatever they're called now, I think it's the Celtics. Um, where like, he could have posterized a guy. And if you watch their pregame, like in layup lines, like he's doing like windmills and stuff from like, you know, like well beyond the block, like he's athletic and he like tried to finger roll it and got like swatted. And you're like, dude, what are you doing? Like don't on him or get fouled.
0: Yeah. Make a highlight, you know, just go strong on that. And I do love actually what you were saying. I love the one-on-one thing, the workouts. I think that's, Like I like you don't want guys playing one-on-one when they get on the floor. You don't want it looking like they're just kind of going through a scripted one-on-one workout, but for young guys who kind of just will look, eventually you'll get stuck on the floor and you'll need a go-to move. That's where you could kind of work on those. Like, Hey, what do I do when I'm kind of caught like caught with five seconds left on the shot clock? And they've, they've pushed me off the three-point line. What can I do here? So I think that's a great exercise. And yeah, I would encourage Todd. I would encourage Rui um when he's like i know it's like when he clears like all those guys should be that's something that they all should stick around and just do after after the workouts
1: gilbert arena said on this podcast that what was huge for him was playing one-on-ones in uh golden state with larry after games and just like this is a good perimeter defender what are moves yeah. that work to beat him and that was huge um all right and then there's the everybody else all the 10 guy 10 day call ups <laughs> Wanamaker, Johnson, Sword, Ayayi, Goodwin, Ashinike, Shackle, Cassius, Winston—the whole crew—just stay ready. Like you're clearly gonna right. like need to get call-ups, so to just be prepared for that.
0: So let me ask you something: Is Cassius in protocols, or is he hurt? Not that I'm aware of. Is he? Uh, and he's still our two-way guy.
1: He is one of the two two ways with Ayayi.
0: So look, this is not this is kind of low hanging. Let's not really a major issue. But if our two-way guy, who is in his second year, is gets bumped for um, Wanamaker, and then the game before, I think Goodwin played point guard, right? Mm-hmm. What, why, is, why is he still the two-way guy?
1: He was listed on the last um, pregame as inactive, and it just says in parentheses, two-way, whereas everyone else has health and safety protocols. So it I, just
0: it just seems like if he's not able to get in in this type of role then what are we still doing there? <laughs> so
1: the only other consideration here is and they didn't do this last year because of COVID. I don't know if they've waived that or not this year, but there are a limited amount of games and reps you can get with an NBA team as a two-way player. So I yeah. don't know if they're saying there's guys we can call up right now. We'll save Cassius Winston minutes for later in the year. He is coming off an injury and sort of slowly okay. working back from it. So that's the only thing I could point to is like, maybe, or he's just been real bad and they don't want to like cut bait too early because it looks bad to cut your second round pick. That's all I got.
0: That's what I'm leaning. It might be that. <laughs> it's like because yesterday I thought of it. I was like, wait, we have another point guard, but we never put him on the floor, regardless of how far down the depth chart we are.
1: I think he's shooting below 40% from the field. Uh, despite shooting like high thirties now, I want to say uh, from three in the G League. So like, if you can be below forty overall yet reasonably effective from three, that's not a good sign. Um, yeah, he, he just can't finish over over NBA caliber guys, unfortunately.
0: I mean, it I had a little, I didn't have too much hope for him, but I was hoping that he would at least develop into maybe a third point guard. But right now he seems more like he's a seventh point guard. I
1: thought he'd be holiday. Like whatever we get from holiday, <laughs> he could be that kind of heady, you know, smart backup guy. And people were comparing him to Kyle Lowry. Cause they're both not super athletes. It's like, no, Kyle Lowry is athletic. Actually he's strong as shit. Like he uses yeah. his body. Well, like cash is not so much. Uh, all right. Wes Unsell Jr.
0: I think with him, just like, as he. Uh, resolution for him, I think you touched on earlier, as he gets more comfortable, just kind of trust instincts more during the game versus making everything as regimented as detail oriented. That's really the thing. Like his, that's his strength, Mm -hmm. but that the time for that strength is in your preparation for the game, not, and also to be, be ready for situations that may occur like, oh, this matchup is in, what should I like? kind of go to your Rolodex of memory? Mm-hmm. But at some point you also have to let your instincts take over and you have to trust that your knowledge base that, that leads that your knowledge base, that you're basing your instincts off is like there and just kind of just roll with it. Like trust the players more. Um, I don't think you need, like, I'm not sure exactly what's going on in the offense is like in terms of, is it Dinwiddie deal, the combo, is it, is it like, they're calling too many plays are they calling plays because neither guy is really comfortable with the other guy on the floor, but it just needs to be a little more free flowing. And I think that's the thing that being said, when Josh Robbins had that report that people were not, were upset about the offense, I was not like taking an anti-West stance there because it's like, okay, don't like you're not defending now either. So 15 games in, calm down. Yeah. It's 15 games in there's a learning curve for him. There's also a learning curve for, all the player like with the majority of the players who were just not playing well at that point. So, you know, um, I think, yeah, just trust your instincts, maybe ease off a little bit uh, in terms of like how regimented it is and just, uh, yeah, just trust it at that point.
1: And this is why they should have made a coaching change move. Like Ted should have eaten the money. I don't want to speak for another person's money, but if you'd have had him last year to learn through this or the year before, I, I think he would be a noticeably better, more effective head coach just because he'd he'd have have the rep to do that.
0: I also wonder if like would he have benefited I, I like I always they did not have like an ex a recent ex head coach on his staff with him and would that yeah. have helped him?
1: Yeah. Some somebody big. to kind of like be in his ear a little bit and like hey, right. you know.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah, I I'm with you. I, I actually think that would be big or another just like another big time assistant like or former player or something that kind of helps smooth some things over. Exactly. Yeah, I, I think something like that would help. Um, Tommy Shepard, don't, don't sit on that extension. Like keep working, keep doing what you're doing and find us the next Gafford. That needs to be his resolution.
0: Give us, yeah, give think, us another. I think that has those. to happen. Cause I think you are seeing some redundant, like you're seeing redundancies on the roster. You're seeing like when, when Brian comes back, you're going to have a Brian Harrell issue, like in terms of who's playing um, you're going to have, like you have like, you have too many forwards right now, still. You'd still need to rebalance the roster. There's still tweaks that he has to make. I don't expect like a grand move for an all-star. Like I know people are saying, hey, let's go chase the bonus. I would be shocked if that happened like if they try something that big, mm. at least now. Um, but there are still moves to be made. There's still roster consolidation to be done. Cons- and I, I think at the deadline, it is time to consolidate. You've seen now kind of what you have, what you don't have. Uh, figure out what you need and kind of make those margin moves so that like find your next gap for to fit into the equation and kind of clean up around the edges a little bit.
1: Totally agree. Uh, this is a bonus one for everybody. NBC, give us more Chris Miller, Glenn Consor combo.
0: I, I'm I'm Absolutely. loving what Miller
1: brings to the, to the table so far.
0: Yeah. So we haven't gotten to, we haven't officially heard why they're out, right? Couldn't. My assumption is
1: health and safety protocols, but I I don't know. We, we don't for know. Sure. Yeah.
0: yeah. It's just been so much better to listen to. Counselor has, I think, always been great. Like, uh, you know, he's, he gives you kind of that he's an ex scout and he'll tell you every broadcast he's an ex scout. But actually, it's still interesting because he'll tell you. He kind of like lays it lays it on you exactly what a player is doing well, what it, what the player doesn't do well. Now, obviously, there's still the homer touch because every mm-hmm. broadcast crew for a team has that homer touch. But and and like, you want
1: that. You don't want someone you want just that. like too objective about your team,
0: right? Exactly. And but he's still been good, and and yeah, Chris Miller's been great. Like he probably should have got the job immediately after Buckhands. And like, look, hey, fix a mistake if you can. <laughs>
1: I have yet to see a single person say this broadcast is not better.
0: No, Uh, there has not been a single person. Justin Kutcher is
1: really good at being just like a professional broadcaster, but you could apply that to NASCAR, to baseball, to college football, like whatever. There's nothing that makes him like uniquely qualified to be the Wizards play-by-play guy.
0: Let's also be honest. Like there's no connect. Like Drew Gooden was a part, like a very late in the career part-time player here. Like you don't identify Gooden as a wizard. Agreed. Yeah, uh, Kutcher, uh, you know he's has no like ties to the area as far as that I know. Chris Miller's been here for years, knows the players. He's there, and Glenn Consner's been here for years. There's an a, there's an attachment to those guys. Mm-hmm. There's no attachment to Kutcher and Gooden, and it's more like, wait, why are these two guys? I'm sure if we asked, like, surveyed people around the NBA, they'd be like, why, why is Gooden doing broadcast for your team? He, he was a he was a Cavalier for the most part. <laughs>
1: I think they really wanted Karan. Like I think that was the thought. And then yeah, he got a national gig and then he got a coaching gig. And like that, I think that sunk them big time. And I was like, okay, who can we get that's available in that age range? We can't have anybody really from the arenas teams because you know there's some shenanigans there. There's some
0: issues, yeah.
1: And and Haywood's on <laughs> NBA TV already. So like Haywood would have been
0: them. good too. Like I would have liked Haywood too. But like yeah, like you said, he's not gonna give up NBA TV to just do this only, I would think. Or maybe you would like, you know, but yeah, uh, I, if, they, if all of a sudden they announced today that we're pivoting and we're going consort and Chris Miller it'd be fantastic, you know, everyone like no one would complain. <laughs>
1: Even Gooden occasionally in a three-man crew with them, I think would be better just because Miller is that like connective tissue of like making yeah. it work from a chemistry vibe standpoint. Uh, or I don't know if you ever listened to any of the go-go games at all, like with the sound on, but like Tony Massenberg does a really good job calling those games in my opinion with yeah Megan I like Massenberg too good. like even
0: Massenberg is the only person on the post game who will also keep it real yeah like whereas everyone else is blowing smoke over mm-hmm. everyone else is asking oh this guy's great this you know Massenberg we're like no they're not playing great yeah. they need to do something there are major roster issues like he'll look he's he came from the Spurs. Mm-hmm. he knows what good basketball is and he knows what he sees here <laughs>
1: yeah yeah I totally agree um all right let's just talk Beal, real quick, and then we're going long here, so I'll I'll let you get back to your family and everything here, but Bradley Beal did actually one quick timeout here so I don't get in trouble. Word from Lightbox, one of our sponsors. Say goodbye to dull gifts. Lightbox lab-grown diamonds are the brightest gift of the year. Using cutting-edge technology and innovative techniques, they've cracked the science of sparkle, creating the highest quality lab-grown diamonds you can find at a light price, only $800 per carat. They have the same chemical makeup of natural diamonds, but they're grown in a lab. Because of this process, they can create stones in blush pink, beautiful blue, as well as classic white. Lightbox lab grown diamonds are the gift they'll never want to take off and price so they don't have to. They really do make any outfit sparkle. Visit lightboxjewelry.com to add sparkle to your holiday shopping. That's lightboxjewelry.com. Lightbox diamonds, never a dull moment. Okay, sorry for that, everybody. Gotta get those in. Gotta get paid. Gotta keep this show going. Beel did get vaccinated and Uh, He did come out today, actually, and say that at no point during this stretch did he actually have COVID, that it was all contact tracing, and that's the reason that he missed three games. We were talking about this before we got on air here. I think what I take away from that is, as an unvaccinated player, uh, because he had to sit out due to contact tracing, he had to sit those games, whereas he couldn't get the two negative tests and immediately opt himself back in. Uh, that's my opinion, probably the reason he decided to go get vaccinated, but just what that sounds like is that him not being vaccinated that position or that choice, you know, met like cost him three games of the season of two of which they lost, um, and, right. and could have had a chance to win otherwise. So him not being vaccinated did cost this team in some way. I'm glad he is. And we don't have to worry about it anymore. Um, he said it was because of his family, his dad has health issues or kidney related issues, and he doesn't want to put him at risk. I think that's weird, uh, given the timing and how long that took, but, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, to each his own, I guess, uh, but just not talking about him personally on the court or whatever, but this is why from a clinical, if you want to win standpoint, being vaccinated was beneficial to your team. Um, maybe they win one of those games.
0: Yeah. Uh, it being contact tracing does make sense because I was when the announcement came out that he got vaccinated, I was like, wait, if he just had it, you're not supposed to get vaccinated right away. Exactly. So it would make sense that like it, it makes sense that it was contact tracing. And then to just avoid this trouble in the issue in the future, just get the shot and mm-hmm. get out of that issue where you have unvaccinated contact tracing rules that apply to you. I mean, look, you see it in the NFL right now. I think Kirk, right before you got on, I saw Kirk Cousins had a big fuss about how he was not going to get vaccinated and he was going to wear plexiglass, have plexiglass around him to make sure that he doesn't miss any games. He, I think, just went into protocols and now the Vikings are in a big game where they need to win and he's not going to be available. Yeah. Now, again, there's a ton of vaccinated players who are getting, sure. getting uh, uh, missing time also. So, But you get you, out of it quicker. You get out of it quicker. So, yeah, there's there's a thing about availability that is just important.
1: <laughs> and, and there's been some question about whether or not this new DC mandate, I think, goes into effect like the 15th, has anything to do with an unvaccinated player status. I have not heard definitively that is the case. When Wes Unseld got asked about it, he said he didn't know if that would impact them in any way. So it sounds like it's sort of vague, even to the team. Um, I'm sure it's I don't just know
0: evolving if, also, or just still, still yeah. trying to figure out everything that would apply to them and, and, and in their situation. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I saw a lot of people say, Oh, you did this just because he didn't want to be kept at home games. Like that's not definitive. I don't know that that played anything in to do with it other than he wanted to get back on the court. And if you say I am now vaccinated and I have these negative tests, then you're good to go. So uh, I, I'm glad he at least did it at some point. It's a better late than never decision. In my opinion, whatever people think about it is their own choice, but from a team only perspective, uh, having him back in that Cleveland game was huge and the stretch they have coming up, they need him on the court.
0: Yeah. And he looked like we said earlier, he looked, he looked fresh. Yeah. His legs look live. Like, you know, he looked like Bradley Beal and it was nice to see that he wasn't doing what I think what Mike Prada and the John Hollinger mm-hmm. or someone had pointed out earlier where he looked like his Wobbly legs were leg. going out from underneath him. Yeah. And it's like, Whatever it is, he just looked like he just looked more like it. So if we if we get a twenty to thirty game stretch of that now going forward, that'll be fantastic.
1: Last shout out, I just want to give it to to Craig Sword. Uh, Chase Hughes tweeted this, which was cool. Oldest players to make their NBA debuts in a Wizards uh, or Bullets franchise uniform: Andrew Gaze was twenty eight, Anthony Gill was twenty eight, Sword is twenty seven, and uh, is probably just about twenty eight. Like we're looking at a birthday right around now. Uh David Vanterpool 27, Claude Gregory, 27. I don't even know who that is. I don't remember
0: that. <laughs> and
1: Chubby Cox in 1983. I have no Do idea. Not, who that is no
0: either.
1: idea. A uh, little <laughs> before my tenure. But I
0: think hey, Craig caught, didn't look bad either. He played he he out of all the call-ups, he looks the best.
1: <laughs> he's an adult. I mean he's an adult. Yeah. Like he's he's very limited. He's a He's a three and D guy that's six foot three and not a particularly good shooter. Like that's always going to be your limitation, but he'll defend the shit out of you. He does foul a little bit too much so Mm -hmm. far against NBA guys, but um, I I covered TBT stuff this year, just because there were a lot of former wizards in the the West Virginia regional and sword played on the team that ended up losing in the finals. And he's an extremely nice guy. He's a hard worker. Uh, on the back of his TBT Jersey, he had JD sword and JD was initials for, you know, two family members who had recently passed. Like he's like a good quality human being that you want to root for. He's been a, like kind of a guy scrapping it out in the G league just for this chance. So right. I'm glad to see him. Get it's good it, to regardless.
0: see, you know? Yeah. It's definitely good to see, see him get an opportunity in, like, yeah, you know, on the NBA floor and yeah. And then take advantage of it when he did.
1: And do well enough that, you know, he's going to be on people's list in the future. I think like he's serviceable now, especially with the rules where you can be a little more physical. Uh, Oz has been great. We've gone super long here, man. Um, Anything you want to plug or shout out or, or, uh, you know, say to anybody before we wrap up here.
0: Uh, Let me see, you know, like, no, actually, honestly, not really. I've enjoyed being on the show. Like it's, yeah, man, we always have a good conversation when I jump on here and I'm like, yeah, I love it. Like, Happy to have am, any time too. I'm looking forward to this next phase of the season. Like I think the seasons goes season goes in 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 phases and in chunks. And we had a great phase early. We had a terrible phase after that. Right. We are now on a on a, in a big home stretch, and it's going to be fun to see if they could flip it around before the, like before important decisions probably have to be made at the deadline mm-hmm. and and just see kind of how they how West evolves, how the roster evolves, and how things that you know. Maybe Rui finally comes back on the floor also. That would be nice be to cool. see. So like they're good things to watch going forward uh, over at Bullets Forever. We're going to still be active, um, have some new things coming your way next year, but we will we will keep doing what we do. And yeah, just look forward to talking to you again.
1: I did leave actually Rui Hatchmore off the uh, list of, of folks for our resolutions. I think we're both on the same page here. Get your head right and don't come back too right. early um and and just sort of be in a good space
0: yeah absolutely it kind of stinks for him he looked like he was right on the cusp of coming back cusp being the word that was used and then going into the protocol so who knows with what i mean not knowing what's going on with him just like and all that adversity is just tough you know and so you know in his case wish him the best wish he gets back on the floor soon and when he does it'll be it'll be fun to watch how he blends in
1: yeah i think that's a resolution for fans like Let's cut the guy break and let's really support the dude when he does get back on the court because that's the best way to get production out of him is to like be encouraging as a home fan base. If we're booing him and stuff too, I I don't think that's going to help the case uh, at all here. So be kind. Uh, Thanks, man. I really appreciate it. Happy new year to you and your family and everybody listening. Rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. And uh, we'll catch everybody here in the new year.